Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV pilot's license flight number 32 with service to Sacramento, California and the Sacred Heart Hospital. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, wait a minute, it appears that we have a passenger that is not feeling well. Do we have a doctor on board? I need 20 cc's of ginger ale stat. Welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License. My name is Jeff Kerbis, joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing today? Hey, I am doing so good. This is one of my favorite shows of all time. I'm I'm so excited for this week. (laughs) This is going to be blast. Well, let me just take a quick temperature on uh, what we're doing this week. We're doing Scrubs this week. Uh, The early 2000s classic. It is wild to think this show came out... A little bit less than 22 years ago, which makes me And I just have to say, if you have not checked us out on YouTube, I encourage you to just go ahead and listen to this on our YouTube feed because Jeff committed this week. Jeff's wearing scrubs. Jeff's doing, like, stethoscope prop humor already. Yeah, like, (laughs) just checking... You know, I the pulse of this podcast is pretty strong. Uh, so I'm going to say... Hey, but the audience is uh, dead. Hey, uh, 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 Well... No respect. For those of you who might be joining us on YouTube for the first time or found us on whatever podcasting service you listen to, Max, do you mind telling the folks what this podcast is all about? Absolutely. So here at TV Pilots License, we break down the pilot episodes of some of TV's most famous or in some cases infamous pilot episodes. We get some background on their creators and showrunners, figure out how these shows came to be. We discuss if we think that they could be made today and if they're successful pilots and making us want to watch more. Like Jeff said, we've got a whole bevy of episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts from. So go back and find a show you may love and want to revisit. Find a show you may want to just know more about. And if it is your first time flying with us, then welcome aboard. And Rich, what is your question of the week? Well, Jeff, I took this week off and outsourced this work to my brother. Uh, and and what Peter Inman wants to know is, uh, who's your favorite bromance in TV history? Uh, he's asking three vanilla bears who they're, what their favorite... Uh... <laughs> oh my gosh. What a... <laughs> That's just such a wild question to me because there's like there's so many to choose from. And Rich, since you got a little bit of extra time with this question, sure did. what is your favorite bromance? Troy and Abed's favorite bromance. That's <laughs> I, I think that has to be it for me. I it it really like nothing brightened your day on a Thursday than seeing Troy and Abed on Community together. Uh, I don't think there's, I mean, what what an insane thing for donald glover to go from that character to being like a cultural icon and an a-list movie star um but yeah I, you, you can't beat it you can't beat it it's so fun yeah i think the uh the somewhere out there scene from an american tale where they they sing the the oh. Streisand song is maybe the most powerful bromance moment in, in sitcom history uh but i'm gonna go with a different pairing mm, although oh. i do love yours rich i gotta give it up for my two main men, Lenny and Carl from The Simpsons. Yeah! <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they great. work the same job. They hang at the same bar. They are completely <laughs> inseparable. Uh, you can't have Lenny without Carl. You can't have Carl without Lenny. Everyone it just doesn't. wouldn't feel right. And I am going to have to go with a childhood classic. And that is 
the two first male roommates uh, in TV, Bert and Ernie. Uh, Bert and Ernie are <laughs> <yeah>. a fantastic <laughs> partnership because while they do not get along, I think that they, they stick together nonetheless. Maybe they have a ridiculous lease that they can't get out of and they don't. their building doesn't allow subletting. But I like to think that they stay together because they love each other so much. But as a, uh, a nice second for me, Jake Peralta and Charles Boyle uh, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine are also a fantastic pairing or jake peralta and what's craig robinson's character again we'll just say craig judy doug judy Judy. yeah those are both excellent choices um (laughs) well with that being said rich first of all thank you so much for that question of the week i'm so glad i farmed it out let's uh let's take a deep dive into scrubs and we're going to start off with a quick little synopsis in the unreal world of sacred heart hospital intern john jd dorian learns the ways of medicine friendship and life but there's a little bit more that goes into this podcast and this episode and this show rather than just medicine friendship and life so max why don't you tell us what that is i am so excited to talk about today's episode, the pilot of Scrubs, My First Day, which aired on NBC on October 2nd, 2001. And I'm so excited to talk about this showrunner in particular. We're going to be discussing a gentleman by the name of Bill Lawrence today. Bill Lawrence, the most famous alum from my high school, Ridgefield High School in Ridgefield, Connecticut. That's right. Go Tigers. Ridgefield. (laughs) (laughs) And... I just, I need to get personal for a moment here. Being an aspiring comic and sketch performer and writer in high school, falling in love with Scrubs the first time and being so inspired that someone from my town, from my high school, was this like big wig in TV. That's the kind of thing that gives a a 16-year-old a lot of hopes and dreams. It's not in this episode, but I can't think of more TV lines than fork me no can eat soup uh, that i've just said more in my life from scrubs um but bill i want to talk to you directly for a moment because many moods ago i had two auditions for a pilot of yours that didn't make it to series i'm not saying these things are related but if we believe in Chaos Theory, the butterfly effect, more colloquially. <laughs> Had I booked this uh, day player part in this unaired pilot, we might not have Ted Lasso today. <laughs> <laughs> and what, and what and, a true shame that would be. And Bill, I know you've got Shrinky on Apple. You've got this killer deal with Warner Brothers right now. It's fantastic overall. I'm so excited for you. Ridgefield boys, we're making it in this world. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing if it you, for themselves. Bill, if you hear this podcast, if you see this clip on social media, because spoiler alert, I'm putting it on TikTok. I've got the password. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone at Doozer sees this, this is my official pitch to you, my challenge to you, Bill Lawrence. (laughs) Let me be a day player on shrinking. (laughs) Let let me play a patient on a couch in a scene. Hell, let me play a barista getting one of your leads coffee in a scene. Can can I, I mean, can I just yes, be an extra? Jeff, I I would oh. I, if if Max is there, like just let me tag along. Oh, you don't even have to pay me a day rate as an extra. No, I'll just uh, be Jeff, there. Jeff, that's not how unions work. <laughs> Bill Lawrence, Bill Lawrence, let me be Jason Siegel. Why won't you let me be Jason Siegel? 
But listen, you, your team, your CDs, you've heard my voice now. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. You've seen my face. I could do any part that you needed that show. So please, just give me a day player, right? <laughs> it, just, it just feels like that old SNL sketch of Adam Sandler as like the 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 boy from the neighborhood where he just like asked for increasingly creepier things and Chris Farley keeps like, screams behind him why why won't you let him suck your toes <laughs> <laughs> for the love <laughs> of god <laughs> now that i've made my pitch uh let's talk about bill lawrence so lawrence after graduating from Ridgefield high school go tigers goes on to william and mary where he gets a degree in creative writing and he's encouraged to try his hand at screenwriting by a family friend, uh, writer Norman Barish, uh, who wrote the Broadway play Send Me No Flowers, which became a film adaptation with Rock Hudson, Doris Day, and Tony Randall in the 1960s, uh, was also a pretty prolific sitcom writer in the 60s and 70s. So fresh-faced Bill Lawrence moves to Los Angeles, and he's sending his writing samples, and he is discovered and signed by legendary manager George Shapiro who is one of the most influential mentors in Hollywood. Uh, he discovered and repped Jim Neighbors, Buddy Hackett, Andy Kaufman, Jerry Seinfeld, Carl Reiner. He's a legend amongst legends. And now Lawrence is his new mentee. Uh, Lawrence gets a job on the short-lived sitcom Billy, which is a spinoff of Head of the Class before moving on to shows including Boy Meets World, the Nanny. Uh, he's a writer in the first season of a little-known sitcom called Friends. And then from Friends goes on to the not-quite-as-successful-champs. I don't think that's going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Champs is canceled after nine episodes, but ends up being really important in Bill Lawrence's career and sitcom history as a whole. Because Lawrence, along with Champs' co-creator, Gary David Goldberg, go on to develop the sitcom Spin City for ABC. Spin City is going to be a reunion for Goldberg and Michael J. Fox, Goldberg having created family ties in the 80s, and the show is a hit lasting six seasons and 145 episodes before ending in 2002. So with family ties preparing to come to a... Uh, sorry, not family ties. Um, with Spin City preparing to come to a close, Lawrence is looking for his next project and actually goes back to his old college dorm mate for inspiration. Uh, his doormate was pre-med when they were living together and beguiles him with stories from his residency years that Lawrence finds incredibly humorous. Uh, so his friend, Dr. Jonathan Doris, a.k.a. JD, wow. from their days at William & Mary, becomes the basis for the pilot of Scrubs, and Doris actually serves as a medical advisor for the show along with two other doctors, Drs. John Turk, and Dolly Clock. Um, John Turk definitely makes sense in this pilot episode. Dolly Clock, that is a name that more diehard Scrubs fans may recognize from later seasons. Uh, so the show was originally produced by ABC Touchstone due to Lawrence's ties with Spin City, but broadcast rights go on to NBC, who picked it up for series order immediately. And that brings us to my first day. Yeah, that... That's wild. Could you imagine, like, the beauty of that is, based off of all of our relationships, if one of us does indeed write a TV show, inevitably, uh, Kerbis will be in the lore of some 
TV show that lasts at least an episode. I like to dream that. Uh, what, a character just named Kerbis? It's just Kerbis. <laughs> it's going to be Jeff Kerbis, but with a J. Yeah, just in spite of me. <laughs> Jeff <Well>, Jerbis. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Can't give him the full name. Um, well, you guys ready to start our first day of Scrubs? Boy, I have watched this sh- uh, this pilot just from so many rewatches so many times. I I could almost do it from, from memory at this point. Yeah, this is the official sitcom of late afternoon syndication from like the <laughs> late aughts, early tens. <laughs> well, let's start off and let's kick things off with just our cold open. We meet JD, John Dorian who is getting ready for his first day at Sacred Heart Hospital. And I really like this just very simplistic opening of that anyone can relate to, of the first day on a job Mm -hmm. is a very interesting feeling, right? There's that nervousness that comes with it that you've been working towards this moment, especially after going to school for your entire life so far. Uh, but rather than taking it too seriously, we get a montage of Zach Braff uh, using his shaving cream in multiple different ways and being extremely wasteful. War paints, shaving cream, <laughs> bikinis, you know, all the classic jokes. Yeah, it, it's very much a nice variation on when every guy grows a beard and starts shaving it off. He does different versions of beards or, like, mustaches that he would like to try, inevitably ending with one that you can't really do other than Michael Jordan in the early 2000s. You know the one I'm talking about, listener. Oh, I, I love a sitcom protagonist setting themselves up with like their first line of dialogue being i'm the man it's it's such a simple like proclamation and i think it tells you so much about how jd views himself this like young bright-eyed bushy-tailed like ready to get out into the world and i think this is really effective as a cold open for letting you understand the person we're going to be following like you, you get to see their relatability, their likability, and then that hard cut of, I don't know Jack, when he enters the hospital. I, I think it's such a great mission statement for what this show is. I think it's such a, a great portrayal of like early, mid-20s life. Uh, and I think it, it really gets you excited for what this show is going to be for the next 20 some odd minutes. And, and I, I think from a writing standpoint, too, this script starts off on such a strong note, like just the first voiceover being since I was 11 years old, I've been able to sleep through anything, storms, earthquakes. Last night, I didn't sleep. I think that yeah. is like a absolutely perfect line just to kick everything off. And I, I really I mean, from someone who's like in a position to greenlight certain scripts and stuff like that you read something like that you're absolutely hooked already yeah and, and for a uh, oh go oh, ahead Jeff. i was gonna say just like max adding on to your point of like the i don't know jack like i feel like that set the tone in a world where we have constant medical dramas and like mm-hmm. medical shows mm-hmm. out there where like we just did grays a few weeks ago right like Everyone on that show seemed to either be extremely confident in what they were doing or know exactly what they were doing. To have a doctor come in and sort of flip the script of, yeah, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here, but Mm. like, we'll see, is like, that is, talk about drawing me in immediately on like, oh, JD's different. This show is approaching the concept of medicine in a less mystified manner. Yeah, 
something um, from like the other side, from like a creative angle, if this pilot was filmed, think probably like spring of 2001, to do a 30-minute network sitcom pilot that is single cam, starts off with VO, and then also in its cold open flips its POV at one point, these are super creative artistic choices that Lawrence and the team took here. When when we're in the hospital that very first time and JD sort of getting like railroaded with information by one of the nurses, we flip the POV and we're looking at the nurse from JD's eyes and you're getting that feeling of like being overwhelmed, being out of your element for the first time. And I'm going to hit on this a bunch, but this show, it plays with its camera work in such creative mm-hmm. ways. It plays with its narrative storytelling devices in such fun ways. And for a for a show that aired at this point, you know, these things are commonplace now, but 21 years ago, this was not the norm. And, and Scrubs takes big swings at its pilot episode off the bat, which I just, I love. Yeah, I, there's just... I, I don't want to stall too much just on the first like thirty seconds of the show because there's there's it's just so much that happens and like let's just talk quickly about that intro right the uh, Superman the monta the quick cuts of every single character we're going to see uh, who's involved in the life or your experience as a patient. Uh, and just seeing I'm no Superman very much trying to establish, and at least in my mind, more clearly, like, hey, the doctors are not these supernatural beings, right? Like, they are human beings, and this is going to be that realistic look at them. Um, just a note, I, you know, when I was growing up in Florida, I had a couple of close friends who uh, were doctors, and I always asked them, like, what's the show that, like, really represents life as a doctor as closely as possible and they always talked about scrubs so lovingly because and my favorite was this was around when gray's anatomy was at its peak they were like if my hospital was anything like gray's i would have quit 20 years ago because i can't (laughs) i can't do that but scrubs is very much realistic and we start getting that idea really right after the intro as a whole when we start having this um, use of flashbacks of what orientation as a doctor is uh, in comparison to a normal nine to five yeah. as a whole. I, I couldn't I couldn't help but think about like this orientation compared to the Grey's Anatomy orientation. And like <laughs> the Grey's one, it's like, it's so intense. It's so in your face. It like, it feels menacing. And with this one, we get... The like the HR lawyer played by Sam Lloyd kicking things off uh, with the line, the hospitals that want to get sued, being sued is not a good thing. <laughs> and later on, letting us know that if a patient is dead, you can tell them anything. <laughs> and I, I think it just like it subverts what we expect from medical shows, because at this point we we had things like uh saying elsewhere in ER that were like the medical dramas and scrubs just like it flips that on its head and it like I, I don't know Sam Lloyd RIP is such a fun part of this entire series and his intro is hilarious for a character who's not a lead and scrubs scrubs never wastes an opportunity for a character on screen it, even if you're on it for a moment yep. you're not you're not <clears throat> wasted you have specifics you have 
meaning behind what you say. Uh, another thing I'll probably go back to a few times is, but like, there's not a single throwaway character or throwaway line in this pilot, in my opinion. Yeah, and they, this scene, I think, like, just we are going to have a lot of flashbacks as a device for JD on this show for a storytelling device. We're also going to have, and I think this is something that was great, is just like even the writing for that scene of like, yes, it was orientation, but we get to meet Turk uh, and get to understand this relationship by Zach Braff, who is probably the whitest man in 2001, talking about how he is down with rap music. (laughs) Uh, And like that, just the, that quick like, little bit in that exchange tells us everything we need to know about their friendship. Do we get to learn more about how JD and Turk met in college, went to medical school together, uh, both chose the hospital because of their res- they both got accepted for the residency program? Yes. But we already get a feeling of, like, oh, wow, this is, like, really good relationship. Like, guy, uh, two guys being best friends immediately, and I was fully bought in on it. J- JD should have known better than to ask that, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe probably. Not for, maybe not first day of work at a new job after after <laughs> in front seven, of the lawyer <laughs> after very many years of medical school. But I guess this is two thousand one, so I don't know. Maybe rap rap is still like a novelty for 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 white people at this point. But we do sort of use this flashback as a way of introducing a few characters, right? We talked about Ted. Uh, who is the counsel for the hospital. We meet the chief of medicine, um, Bob Kelso, played by Ken Jenkins. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we go into sort of this idea of, we start to get this idea of cliques within the hospital, or that hospital is no different than high school in certain circumstances. While the surgeons, or surgery residents, are going out to a bar, uh, we see all the medical residents um, playing Pac-Man, I believe, was the game. Um, sounds like a really fun hospital. I would and I also, wonder which yeah. high school Bill Lawrence based that line on. Oh, who can say? <laughs> wait, wait, Max, was there a Pac-Man machine in your just, like, cafeteria at Ridgefield? Oh, God, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Max would have been a broke child. <laughs> no, we just had someone, uh, like, illegally download a Mario Kart emulator onto all the computers oh on the network. Oh, my God. Hell yeah, dude. I have not heard someone talk about an emulator in years. <laughs> but we get our first, uh, we get to meet JD. Uh, JD gets to meet our love interest of the show, or the presumed love interest, based off of how this episode goes, of Elliot. Elliot. And we have our first, just, like, fantasy cutscene that yeah. we were not, like, Going into the show, I don't know if you were prepared for it, but we just get it. And um, even I watched this with my partner, Alex, uh, when they were doing this like marathon finish line and JD just throws coffee in his face. She was just like, what the fuck is he doing? Uh, because the show does not give you any hints of we're going to be in this world where this guy's imagination is wild. But like, I really loved it of just like, yeah, sometimes we have these intrusive thoughts and... This is what it looks like in the real world. The fantasy montages are so important to the the comedy of the show because it really you really do get an absurdist comedy that still does not wreck the real world at all. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. super important to under like to differentiating the just the imagination of JD and like understanding his sense of humor while 
appreciating the severity of the or the, not the severity the gravity of things that are happening in this hospital i think it, it's it's such a crucial part to why this series works so well as a whole and it creates that balance in jd if you're dealing with this uh this drama and at times trauma in your everyday life you need to have these little escapes yep. and so for jd to have his imagination be like a tool to <clears throat> calm him to ground him to give him perspective i think it's really important i do really quickly uh need to mention maybe the i don't know worst 2001 line of this so far which is him describing elliot's butt as looking like two pringles hugging <laughs> um look i don't I, I don't think butts wait, were wait. in vogue at this point what do we think of this <laughs> this is years after <laughs> sir mix a lot <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which way the are the Pringles hugging curve to curve? Are they hanging? I I need a draw up of how we think the Pringles are hugging. TV so, pilot says on Instagram. Uh, yeah, if you please, have please a, draw submit up. a drawing of two Pringles hugging to simulate an ass, and if, if they are uh, anthropomorphic Pringles, even better. I yeah, just need Pringles, that if you, could send us, uh, if you could Venmo us two ninety nine, so we can go buy a can of Pringles <laughs> and check this out. Pringles, I know you're listening. Friend of the pod. Yeah, Max, if we don't have a Pringle hugging TikTok, I'm going to be a really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Once you pop the fun, don't stop. Back to you, Wow. Oh, okay, well, thank you. Um, but I think one of the things that was really clever uh, about this fantasy sequence is the show does such a good job of bringing us back to reality with very quick single lines of not everyone is in JD's world and in his imagination because as soon as fact, they're no finished <laughs> yeah and as soon as they're done racing right we see Elliot say uh, um something to the extent of you do a bunch of cardio right or like big fan of cardio and we're immediately right back in to the world that we've been given um as we continue, though, we start to get a, even a better picture of what life is like. We get this small idea of, in Grey's Anatomy, and we're I'm going to be referencing Grey's a lot, the chief resident, or the resident that is overseeing these two interns, um, is a gigantic star of the show, right? Like, that is someone who we come to love and we come to respect. And um, in this show, they literally just make fun of Dr. Jeffries incessantly and being like, I'm a dork, I'm a dork, I'm a dork, I'm a dick, I'm a dick, I'm a dick. Yeah. And it was just <clears throat> great. Like, here's a non-important character, but as an intern, if we did not show you this person, you'd be like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, I think what a re what makes this show so impressive and what I think really makes... what What I really think the big draw is two actual doctors like the the people who, who feel this is the closest media interpretation of what their day-to-day -day life is is that it is absurd you get to see every person for their flaws immediately it's not you know blurry cuts someone saving a life immediately on their first day uh, what the what it really is is uh, you know a brand new doctor being afraid to draw blood or insert an IV and stuff like that. It, it's it's really it's really like it's really humbling for a lot of people. It makes everyone look like they're just trying their best. It for, especially for Carla and the rest of the nurses. It takes into a it takes into consideration the massive pay discrepancy. And you know we talked a bit about this 
during the Grays episode about how little the nurses are actually seen as real characters on Grays, and some of them, a lot of them, are pretty interchangeable and kind of don't even have like a real foothold in, uh, like, don't even have character arcs of their own. This you're gonna see, uh, you know, both Laverne and Carla be massive parts of this show, and yeah, I it, it there's just so much in this that is human and everyone is extremely fallible in the show. Everyone has a great, but very dark sense of humor. And I, I think that really connects a lot of this to the real world. It's like, and yes, this was not, not on the air nearly as long as um, Grey's Anatomy has been, but like this approach of showing all sides of the hospital is so great, right? Like this first episode, day one, um, really gives us that idea of like, here is everyone that you see in a hospital. And like, let's just continue, right? Because we start to meet these mentor figures mm-hmm. uh, that will be in JD's life, right? Uh, we meet Carla, who instantly uh, nicknames JD Bambi. Um, I don't we think we get an explanation, but I don't think we really need one, right? He is a fawn. He's Bambi. In, yes, he is Bambi, but he's also just, he's a newborn in this crazy world that is this hospital. But then we also meet Dr. Cox, um, who is played by John C. McGinley. Uh, and True and icon. Just, I'm, I'm absolutely in love with this character immediately on the screen. It is witty dialogue immediately. It is not fluff it is not your traditional oh i am the manager of people it is i am here to do my job and get my job done and get the fuck out of here yeah very much he he is the um he is definitely the epitome of someone who is like so good at their job but is so not interested in moving up in in it like really just does not have the the drive behind him to do anything but get in and out and but he's so insanely competent and you can tell he as, as the episode goes on you can tell he does want a mentor even though he's or a mentee even though he is like completely trashing all of the interns immediately and interns are residents it's 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 interns it's right? interns it's interns okay. um yeah that is that is definitely like how he comes off it is very jaded he can you can tell immediately how much he hates dr kelso because you can see like that the rest of the hospital just kind of keeps him down and yeah i mean he i feel like dr cox is absolutely the person you would want at your bedside uh above anyone else in the show just because he's so insanely competent that he can kind of make this place his home he's competent he cares but and well, we learn come to see he to look we come to learn that he cares, mm-hmm. right? But he's not gonna show it right away. Um and he cares in very particular cir- circumstances, right? And like, it's such a oh uh, well what I was gonna say is he doesn't call J D by his name at first, right? Uh this was something that was super clever that was used throughout the episode. But he starts giving J D all of these nicknames, like calling him Nancy, uh which not really cool with that but it's all good uh like calling him all these other things but rather than just saying jd or dr door or dr dorian in these instances 
I just love that we get supporting characters who get full arcs in this pilot 100%. as well. Um, and Cox has one of the more interesting ones to me, which we'll touch on as we progress through this episode. But I like that you get a character who is is something of a foil to JD physically. He he is the opposite of John Dorian, the way his demeanor is, the way he lays down the law, his physicality compared to uh, you know, just the way Zach Braff inhabits his body in this. And what we learned here too from his interaction with Cox is that JD is like the epitome of the book smart, but like not street smart kind of doctor. Like he relies on people to do his nitty gritty, even though he knows all of the book answers. He, it's just like such a good scene of showing like he's like a student of the game, but he hasn't like learned the game yet. Yeah. It's, um, that, and that's like one of the issues that comes up, right? Is we start to see sort of life for JD in the hospital. Uh, interns go on rounds, right? With our chief of medicine, Kelso. JD is brilliant. He's giving answers to Elliot because he has a crush on her. But he's afraid to actually do procedures as a whole. And he's having the nurses do them. Um, which people are like, hey, and... We see Dr. Cox be like, hey, if they find out you're doing that, you're going to be out of here real mm-hmm. quick. Like, we start to get these hints of, like, I know what you're doing. I am going to give you advice, but it is not going to feel like you are – it's not going to be lovey-dovey or, like, coddling. It's just going to be stark reality the of the most situation. important advice that Dr. Cox gives JD, though, is if you push her out a stiff, no one will ask you to do anything. Which I think <laughs> is so goddamn funny, and I wonder if this is, like, a real thing that – that happens at hospitals i mean i feel like a lot of this is kind of like based on real stories as we mentioned like you know from bill lawrence's old uh, college dorm mate and i want this to be true so badly but before that even happens we get to see um another one of these fantasy situations because jd sits down to watch tv really quickly and um, we see this fantasy sitcom on the TV of him and Elliot that was just truly <laughs> just, like, wonderful. It was great. I just, I, it was, like, this l- nice little refreshing bite of, like, chaoticness that just was fantastic also, as did, a whole. Also, did Bill Lawrence get creative credit for How I Met Your Mother? Because uh, he deserves <laughs> it. He accidentally invented How I Met Your Mother. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> Something in that scene, though, that also... Um has nothing to do with the pilot itself, but we were watching it. And with the flashback of him and Elliot in their uh, multicab sitcom life pops up, my wife exclaims, that's the my wife and kids house. It <laughs> like is. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is definitely instantly a sitcom pigged, She instantly pigged that they were using that ABC set to get that shoot, uh, to get that shot. So I wanted to share something with you two gentlemen that makes me love John C. McGinley even more. And it is him in this wonderful Indiana yeah, University. Uh, they filmed a movie in Bloomington that he starred in. So he lived in Bloomington, I think, for like three months. Just Hell like yeah, very the good Catholic with Daddy Glover. Yeah, just like very under Why do you the know radar. That? Yeah. So, but I love that photo. Um, I have pulled that photo up for non-podcasting reasons, just because John C. McGinley is the man. Um, but after it's day a real one, March Madness spectacular. Yeah. 
Uh, it is April when you're listening to this. It is March when we are recording. Sorry to uh, cool. Yeah, it's sorry. March for it's March for about twelve more hours. It, it's March for <laughs> us. April for you. <laughs> Let's do this. Again. We, we promise that we will finish this before April. <laughs> um, but we go on to day two and. In day two, we meet a character that, if you're just watching this pilot, might seem very secondary or very trivial. But we meet just a character by the name of Janitor. That's it. (laughs) And Janitor is played by Neil Flynn. And I think that the Janitor character is just so great of showing us, like, there is life in a hospital of people who aren't doctors or aren't nurses And you are interrupting their day and their job by existing as well. I love starting off day two with this almost non sequitur scene because, like, it's you're probably coming back from commercial break at this point. It's day two, and after all of like the drama of day one, we kind of like we reset, and it's like a really fun sort of second act. Uh, You get this little gag scene with this menacing threat. It's like everyone's always threatening JD. Uh, Side note, Neil Flynn actually like went all the way to producers for Dr. Perry Cox. That's why before they very different character. They told him, listen, we've we've got a guy in mind, but we want you to just read this part. And Neil Flynn took janitor for one day of shooting. And he thought oh he thought it's a day it's a day of shooting and I'll do this part in this pilot. It's a day of work. And it ended up becoming one of the biggest roles in this series. Once again, fork, me no can eat soup. Um, <laughs> also, and I know I know this is a pilot podcast. I know it's a pilot podcast. For the people listening who do want to watch more of this show, uh, they have one of my favorite universe splitting fourth wall breaking moments oh i know what you're talking about i know what you're talking about because the janitor is just playing neil flynn who has a very throwaway line in the fugitive with harrison ford and has one of my they have the janitor still be that person in real inside the Scrubs universe, which is so fucking mind blowing, it's very like Julia Roberts is Julia Roberts in Ocean's Twelve, kind of thing. Yeah. It's like it's so it's so stupid, but Neil Flynn you'll recognize is the what is it the the CTA employee or police officer who yells Kimball. <laughs> <laughs> I I hope that didn't just break everyone's ears, <laughs> but, but in in the fugitive, and I I just like it, it's something I think about just like spur of the moment sitting on the couch. I'm like, why did they do that? There's no there's no reason for them to do that in Scrubs. Let's just talk about some of the things that end up happening, right? Um, during this whole episode, JD's trying to find a roommate. Uh, he assumes Turk is going to be his roommate. Um, but there's a little bit of friction based off of just these clicks, right? And there's even more separation of Turk and JD, this friendship, mm-hmm. this base for him, and the idea that Turk is potentially going to be sleeping or having sexual relations with Carla, this nurse that we've met. Um, yeah, which, don't, like, fu- don't fuck your coworkers on the first day, Well, please. But <laughs> also, like, good for Carla. Rich, it's day two at this point. Oh, there was I'm a little so Chiron on the screen that let yeah. us know. You're totally right. <laughs> Good for Carla for being like, 
Turk, why don't you take off your clothes? And then her just being, like, nice and then leaving was, one, fantastic. But then um, Donald Faison coming out just with the pillow over his junk was just, like, A+. plus, A plus stuff. I, I loved it so much. I'm going to say something really dumb here. Uh, but whenever I watch older sitcoms, I... I forget that the, like, actors and the characters they're playing are, like, oftentimes meant to be, like, in their early to mid-20s. I, I assume because I'm watching things in retrospect, everyone's much older than they are. The characters are all, like, older than me. Um, I know it's a dumb thing to say. Uh, I still refuse to believe that anyone in Friends is supposed to be in their early to mid-20s and that show started. No, that was in the 90s. They're all in their 50s. Um, but the... The conflict of a best friend who you've known for, like, a decade telling you they want to branch out is such a real thing that I think everyone goes through at that phase in life where it's someone that you've come of age with and is your best friend that you've gone through thick and thin with and suddenly you're, you're detouring. I think that's a relatable moment to every single person who watches this show. And even if you don't know Lick about medicine, you have been in that position before. And I think Scrubs is a really good job of balancing like life and career and setting up conflicts for its protagonist in both of those lanes here. And for all of the goofy, for all of the cutscenes and fantasies, it hits at emotional cores really well. And this isn't as deep as this show will get in its run. Hell, it's not even as deep as it's going to get emotionally in this episode. But I, I think it's a lane that people don't touch on. I love storylines about friendship. I think we talk a ton about romance. I don't think we talk a ton about friendship. And I love seeing it in mainstream media. Yeah. It it was something that, you know, touches of like the idea. I, I Max, I love how much you said that because like, Yes, all three of us have been friends for going on almost 15 years, which is gross. Um, I need new friends. How old am I? <laughs> uh, but it's one of those things where sometimes friendships do stray based off of things like work and uh, based off of just life as a whole. And they do do such a doo-doo uh they do <laughs> such a good job god damn it um, god damn it what a, what a great what a great point max Let's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they do such oh, a great boy. job of making sure that this show is not just all about the laps right we are seeing a full human being in uh john dorian and we also like Striking on the concept of, I want to move us towards, like, the idea of emotions and these people being 360 figures, right? Not just side characters in certain instances. We have our first, like, real confrontation of the show between uh, Elliot and Carla in a moment of slut-shaming that also reveals a lot about Carla as a character. Truly. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was such a great thing. Like, I forgot about this scene, but it also just, like, it shows you, like, Holy shit. Like, first of all, Judy Reyes can fucking act. She can... She's uh -huh. so goddamn talented. But, like, her revealing, like, 
one, these emotional things of like the concept of you need someone when you are working in a hospital like I am. You need someone when you have a sick parent. Um, and then you also just need to feel good about yourself sometimes. And that was just, if you can't relate to that, you might be, you know, soulless in my opinion. And this confrontation stems from Elliot Reed making a good point to start. It begins with office place sexism, her being called out as a nurse. You know, we, we talked about this with Grace. The nurses are viewed as these lesser figures they get dumped on by the doctor she makes a big point to call out this is my stethoscope this is my like my chart i am a doctor and it's like she then just like twists the wrist a little mm -hmm. too far with carla and immediately gets called out on her privilege her position her bs and i love 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 carla's ending line to this argument you can dump on everyone if you want but you will never hurt me yeah it was, there's just so many sides to this show, right? Of like, there's the comedy, there's opportunities for each of these actors to just go at it. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that's what makes it so impressive, right? Is you are not, you do not know what you are getting into every week when you watch the show. Your emotions are going to be toyed with in many different facets. Yeah. And, and that basic, oh, go ahead, Rich. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and this confrontation, too, doesn't unfortunately break the Bechdel test because it is still about uh, Carla and Turk, really. But it does cement Carla as a top of the line character that this is not going to be, you know, uh, nothing to this point says, hey, Carla's really going to be a main figure in this until this particular moment. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what puts her, this exact moment puts Carla and Laverne both in the the top of the line here. Like, it, it is really, it, I think it's so crucial to how this series progresses and, and, and just how the episode progresses too, of just like, all right, we're going to demand respect from these nurses. They are going to be characters. They are going to have their own stories. R episodes are going to revolve around both of them. You know, they are not just magical assistants that are going to step into frame, solve, save the day, and then step out of frame for, for the doctors like to use as narrative pieces. Uh, what I was going to say is this, this pilot is such like a traditional like three act structure and act two basically ends with this like Carla Elliot feud, but it is like, it's the conflict act. It's, you know, the, our hero is facing adversity. It's, you know, JD shown as a literal deer in headlights being run over mm -hmm. by a truck. It's Turk wanting to break away and explore new facets of their friendship and adulthood. It's JD fleeing a call, like an emergency call to go hide in a literal closet. Um, you know, Elliot being faced with her privilege when she's just trying to make a name for herself in her field. And then we get just such a delightful Chiron to begin act three, which is that night, 30 seconds before going on call. <laughs> yeah. And we are introduced to the idea of being on call, the realities of the situation, right? You are unsupervised in many cases you are not sure what you are going to face. Um, and I I really did love the hospital montage of the experience of being on call, right? You are- The slow-mo. The, the slow-mo, mm -hmm. everything going on around you, you um, struggling to find time to sleep, um, trying to do all these different things, seeing the 
um, repeated reminder of you are a failure to JD by not being able to do simple procedures mm-hmm. um, was something that was just powerful. But then we get this really, like this beautiful moment. And I say beautiful because it's just, it's written so well. During this entire episode, we see JD um, working with a one patient in particular, Mr. Bursky. Um, and Mr. Bursky is being basically... He's a guy in a wheelchair. We don't know exactly what's wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that he's in the hospital, so he must not be feeling the best. Um, and while JD is checking on other patients and trying to help, uh, Mr. Bursky crashes and he's not able to help. Uh, and we deal with JD's first death. Um, and he says this line, I'll never forget that moment, the way he looked exactly the same, but still somehow completely different. Um that was just holy shit. Like, because I then I you you instantly go back to death in your own sense and seeing maybe that first time that you have a relative pass away or something and what it's true. I talked about um like characters not having throwaway lines or moments. Mr. Bursky is a really good example of that because the the first time we see him, JD's wheeling him in the elevator. He makes a fart joke about making sure that his gas isn't contagious to others. And then he tells Mr. Bursky that there's like something on his scan that concerned him and he wouldn't be able to sleep that night if he didn't do like a check or run a test on him. And Bursky says, I'll do it for you. And we see yeah. we see the knowledge side of JD. We see the bedside manner. We see all of that care and attentiveness. And that, that last line from Bursky, like, okay, I'll do it for you. And it feels like it's, it's nothing. It feels like a routine check. And the next time we see that character for him to have passed, I think that it's like it it has to be the guy that JD bonded with that he loses. It yeah. has to be the guy that he connected with over like fart humor in the elevator with. It it can't be I mean it could be, you know, a medical emergency. We could see the hustle and bustle and Jeff, you mentioned like, you know, the whirring and quick cuts of like nineties TV medical dramas. But instead it's, you know, it's the calm placated character from act two. Yeah. And we, we actually do. I, I think this moment is pretty standard in a lot of pilot episodes of hospital or medical dramas in general. Uh, you get someone who is seemingly fine on their first day and you get the you have the main protagonist deal with someone crashing who you weren't expecting you get to see you get to have them experience the moment of life's fragility in a hospital and have them deal with death when you know they they he JD was already coming close to death a little bit when with some other patients and things like that and got to see how the rest of the hospital, you know, saves them and like the role of everybody else around him, including his future mentor. Um, and you, we do get this in grays too of a, a seemingly fine patient who is going to be out of that per- that character's life almost immediately and unexpectedly in in the same sense where um, I can't remember the character's name now from uh, from Grays, but it is uh, you know you have uh, it, w- it was someone that the uh, 
that one of the doctors promised was going to be okay and that was the lesson learned it's like you don't promise yeah that I, someone's going to be fine because yeah it, it's, look it's, how it's easy tr night as george again it's, yes. it's, it's the george thing yeah. again thank you um yeah so that that is really what like that that is what the scene reminded me of and i think it's so important that it in the reality of it it's it establishes the gravity and then you see almost immediately his uh, his escape uh, from from these like dark intrusive thoughts. Like you know, uh, in the Bible for Scrubs, uh, Bill Lawrence writes very callously, uh, "Body count one, Mister Borsky," which is like really really dark. Um, but in the same sense, like that's unfortunately the dark humor you have to use to get by seeing the horrifying things as a doctor. And if you don't have that, then what the hell are you going to do? Um, uh, you know, what the hell are you going to do to, to make sure that you're, that you feel okay the next working day? Yeah. And one of the smart choices that he made after this scene is when you are at your lowest, it is the people who surround you who allow you to keep on going, right? Mm -hmm. And we see that in a couple of ways, right? First, we see that JD and Turk, I don't want to even say they reunite, but they get back together. Turk admits that he's terrified as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and only a way that Donald uh, Faison can in the idea of, like, the terrified underneath the mask, which I just great line. He's amazing physical actor. Oh, the, uh, At, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the screaming face. Yeah, the screaming yeah, everyone, face. Everyone, do it for the YouTube. Um. So, but then we have <laughs> this idea of showing the people who are really making sure that JD's okay. We have Carla and Doctor Cox appear again. There is a patient who is crashing. Um, JD is the first one to answer the beeper and Dr. Cox. And there's a reason I mentioned that he doesn't call JD by his name ever chooses to call JD by his name, getting to -hmm. get him to save this patient and actually get over his fear of being physical with the patients, not just being an academic, but being a doer. And it is this amazing moment of seeing Dr. Cox in this brand new light of Mm -hmm. he is here to be a teacher. He genuinely cares about the patients and the people he is working with. And Carla is there right with him to make sure that everything is okay. And it really, holy shit, what a way to like make this change and make this turn yeah if jd losing that patient having to call time of death is his like all is lost moment Mm -hmm. we get that like ending arc of the hero's journey here and i think cox just telling jd he's your patient now is more powerful than any flowery line of dialogue it's it's direct it's to the point and it conveys so much and it really completes cox's pilot arc so well Um, And I think it's a really nice contrast to the way we complete the Dr. Kelso arc in this chunk as well with really like breaking his veneer to JD, the guy that he thought was, you know, the hero, the old guard that he would look up to is, uh, it's like a penny pincher who wants to kick people Mm -hmm. out of the hospital and, you know, onto the street if they don't have private insurance. And so... Uh, it's sort of, you know, this misdirection, but it's like everyone's arcs coming full circle here. Although this hospital has nothing 
on Seattle Gray because JD completes his shift after 31 hours. I'd like to see him go 17 more hours <laughs> to get to a full 48 like we saw Gray's fucking anatomy. 31 hours and 12 minutes. He is on the clock. That's really um, funny. And we end this, nothing. this show with a narration by JD. And um, what's funnier than a man walking into a clear door? Uh, <laughs> I challenge you uh, because that is the last we see. Literally nothing. And... Um. Uh, there, there is there is one moment here that I think is extremely important for the show in in general, and it's a very very quick um, physical moment where Doctor Cox is about to go pat JD on the back, which honestly would have been a butterfly effect change on the entire show, and his choice to not pat him on the back and instead like be upset at himself for like even thinking about doing it is so indicative of how he's going to be a reluctant mentor a distant mentor for jd as, as it goes on but yeah i just wanted to throw that in there as well because uh that is that is like a crucial part of it and it, i thought it was really good acting so that is the end of this pilot are there any things that we loved that we did not discuss i love bookended dialogue to start and end a pilot uh with the line i'm the man being one of the first things we hear from JD in his opening voiceover and the last VO we hear when he crashes into a glass door. <laughs> um, I think it's a really fun tool for pilot script. Um, just a couple of camera work things we didn't get to mention. When JD is trying to escape his first emergency paging, we see the hallway kind of like tilt and move a little bit. There's almost like a... It's not like a shaky cam, but it's not like a tight framing. It's a really cool trick there. Uh, the slow-mo that we mentioned that first night of On Call. And there's just a lot of like really close-up and angled framing here too. It's just so different than other single-cam shows, definitely from other multi-cam shows. Uh, it just, it's, it's filmed in such a unique way, and I can't think of another show that we've done of this time frame that utilizes its camera quite in the same way scrubs does yeah and what i will say as far as things that i loved i just loved we talked a little bit about this being a realistic medical show i loved the idea of treating this as doctors have bad days too mm -hmm. um doctors have bad parts of their jobs they're not just heroes every single time patients are lost even patients who seem that they should survive are lost um and that's just sometimes adding true reality to the situation makes a show that much more redeemable for me. And also, we didn't even talk about it. This show is so fast paced. This show has so many witty jokes going on all the time. And like that kept me in it really, really well. It was a tight 24 minutes, I oh, think, yeah. of a pilot. But I was in every single second and I was engaged every single second. Rich, what about you? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I don't think we left too much on the table, really, that we didn't talk about. I think uh, all three of us are so passionately fans of the show that we wanted to just kept to, uh, keep talking about exactly what we loved in each single moment. But uh, great job, Bill Lawrence. We are definitely yeah. going to tweet this at him later. <laughs> <Ad nauseum>. uh, <laughs> any wait a minute moments for y'all? Hmm. That's a great question. I don't think so. It seems really tight. I think with any, you know, comedy that has generational gaps, there's a joke or two that you maybe roll your eyes at 
a little bit looking back on it with, you know, 2023 goggles. But, you know, that that's just the way comedy works. I think more hits than doesn't hit 22, 23 years later in this show. So nothing really on my end. Um, my one thing, and I, I'm going to be, this is just me being, we've talked a lot about music, right? And this show, we're going to talk a lot more about it because... I have a very special relationship with, like, some of the music in this show. I think it is oh, so well done. And Colin Hayes specifically has so many thank you notes he has to write to Bill Lawrence. Uh, but there is, I forget what the song was, but at the beginning of the show, before JD's hit with the stark reality of what it's like being an intern at a hospital, they start this one song. They never finished it, and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I was getting in the groove of the song, too. Are you thinking just, of uh, Please Forgive Me by David Gray? It might have been that, okay. and I was just like, I was so upset, like, for maybe 20 seconds, which is way too long <laughs> to be upset about that. But, I, I yeah, I like, this is just, it's such a good pilot. Um, what I will say is, um, as the only person in Scrubs on this podcast, I feel like I have the authority to prescribe us a daddy of the week and that is dr <laughs> cox uh dr cox is a hundred percent the daddy of the week on this you yeah, cannot convince me wrong that i am wrong he is the mentor of our dreams and i think he just is fantastic <laughs> we do have an in-flight question though uh our in-flight question came to us before the show and it is what is the best mentor mentee relationship in tv history so and- i Oh, go go ahead if you want if you want to kick us off. I will kick us off. So I could very easily say that like Coach Taylor in Friday Night Lights has a mentor uh, relationship to every single character on Friday Night Lights, Um, and that would be easy. But the one that sort of stuck out to me is like I'm going to go back to Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, with Detective Jake Peralta and Captain Raymond Holt. Um, I. If you watch the beauty of that relationship and the mentor-mentee is from episode one until the very final episode, it's just this beautiful, like, building father-son-esque relationship that just builds every single season. Mm -hmm. And, like, yeah, it gives me the warm and fuzzies. I I could choose Scrubs very easily, right? But I I wanted to give a little bit of grace and a little bit of room uh, to this pilot. Mm -hmm. Rich, what Uh about you? I love that. Uh, so I chose one that I think has is not ideal. I think it goes through a lot of ups and downs. I think it gets very toxic at times, but I think it, I think it's, it's crucially important to a women's role in the workplace kind of thing. And I'm choosing Don Draper and Peggy from Mad Men. Ooh, great choice. I think that is. I think that in company or like encompasses a pretty dramatic mentor mentee relationship and it's extremely imperfect uh there's a lot of times where you just want peggy to go out on her own and it takes a long time for her to do so uh but she becomes such a crucial part of the show because of the very small lift of don draper realizing her copywriting potential and becoming part of the creative team um at at, uh at sterling cooper and yeah, I, I just think that is, like, uh, through all those seasons, they do a terrific job of, like, growing and tearing apart their relationship. Max, what about you? When we talk about ensemble comedies, you you have to figure out how you make 
each different piece connect? It's not just how does your protagonist relate to people. It's how do your side characters relate to each side character too? How do you build those moments where they have B and C plots together? And a character who I think does such a great job of this is uh, Parks and Rec's Ron Swanson, uh, mm. played by Nick Offerman. What a good because choice. at some point, every single character in that ensemble has a mentor-mentee relationship with Ron. There is a moment where he gives some advice, mm-hmm. or he goes to bat for them, or he stands up for them, or protects them. Uh, or he learns from happen. them. Yeah. yeah, or he learns from them. There's a give and take with that character. And the reason why Ron can like get away with all of the, you know, all the jokes in that show is that because he's also so good at his job, and I don't even mean in government, I mean like as a leader. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that's a really great portrayal of mentor-mentee relationships. I think that's a show that much like Scrubs does such a great job of its like interpersonal connections. Uh, so shout out to Nick Offerman. Well, thank you so much for that in-flight question. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about what episode we are doing next week so you can submit those questions a little bit early. Um, But let's talk a little bit about the history of the show because it's wild. Uh, It has some twists and turns. So this show had nine seasons and 182 episodes. Seasons one through seven were on NBC. But then after season seven... Uh, NBC decided they wanted to go in a different direction with comedy on the network. So uh, season eight through nine were on ABC. There was also a web series called Scrubs Interns. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah, uh, let's but, Let's not. <laughs> but uh, seasons one through three, just to give you all an idea, had some amazing ratings. 11.2 million, 15.9 million, and 10.4 million. Uh, they were respectively ranked number 38, number 14, and number 43 Ooh. as far as all TV shows. After that, it fell off a cliff and was hovering around 4 and 3 million at any point in time. A lot of this had to do with what else was on at those times. And NBC, during the 2000s, comedy was on Thursdays. For, like, forever, comedy was on Thursdays. Yep. And they just sort of were like, ah, let's not move Scrubs to Thursdays. Let's make it our powerhouse of Tuesdays. So they would show, in, after uh, during season four, reruns of Will and Grace, reruns of Scrubs before showing the new Scrubs episode. And then surrounding it, Amazing Race, which was sit-down television in 2004, mm-hmm. and House were surrounding it on other networks. So it was yeah. really in a very tough situation and those two shows alone pulled in uh i did the math on this 50 percent of all tv viewership at the nine o'clock hour which is bonkers um so the show is technically a part of the bill lawrence universe and what i say but why i say that is because there is a cameo um from one of these characters in scrubs in an episode of Cougar Town, and then you see the rest of the cast of Scrubs in Cougar Town. So Sacred Heart Hospital is in Cougar Town, uh, in the same universe as Cougar Town, and I like to think so is the cast of Shrinking somewhere <laughs> out there. Well, that's in Pasadena, <laughs> but yes. But Which you can catch me on next season. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, just in the room. 
Imagine this worked. <laughs> um, yeah, it's called manifestation. <laughs> so I I wanted to do a quick thing to shout out Colin Hay, uh, who, if you don't know who that is, he was the lead singer uh, from Men at Work. Uh, I can't get to sleep. Yeah, and that, like, so he appeared on seven different episodes of this show. There's wow, talk very, about a man at work. Yeah, there was a very uh, famous <laughs> scene with him singing... Um, overkill uh acoustic and that song spoiler alert is on my spotify Uh, he he didn't do he never did once man down under which yeah he (laughs) does have an acoustic version of it i i will say um and let's talk about awards it's awards time baby uh 86 nominations and 15 wins they got 17 emmy nominations and Two wins for those, a win for multi-camera picture editing and sound mixing. Also, Zach Braff... Creative arts Emmys matter. <laughs> wait, multi-camera? Zach... Yeah. These are these are not primetime wins, Rich. Yeah. Wait, wait, no, no, no. but it's not a multi-cam. Rich, I didn't write the awards. <laughs> I didn't... What, what, why are you upset no, with they, me? They brought one camera. <laughs> yeah. You know like how with the Oscars, uh, like an actor will try and like campaign in a category that they have a better chance at winning it? It's one yeah, of those like situations. Beyonce yeah. winning EDM album of the year or whatever. Yeah. Um, but here's an interesting fact, though. Zach Braff actually got all of the Golden Globe nominations for the show. Uh, he did not win any, but he was nominated, I believe, consecutively for three years to win a Golden Globe for comedy. Uh, um, we should have just given him one. That man's been terrorizing us ever since. <laughs> Leave Florence Pugh alone. Oh, my God. Um, so as far as where you can find the show, you can find it on DVD as well as on Hulu. Um, with... Thanks for leading with DVD. <laughs> You're so welcome. Here's where you can find it on VHS. Hey, DVDs are picking up, y'all. People love physical mediums now. Oh, boy. Um, But that is the history of this show. Um, Rich, it is time for your game of the week. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, It's just one quick question for you guys. Uh, And the title of the the game of the week is I Am Superman? Question mark? Uh, (laughs) uh, There is from the... Core six characters. Let's say Zach Braff, Donald Faison, Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, and Ken Jenkins, and Judy Reyes. Uh, of that core six, one of these people has been in a Superman property. And I would love to hear who you think it is. And you can reason it out if you want, or you can just yell out an answer. So who who were the six that you said? So it was Zach Braff, so Donald. So J.D., uh, Turk, yeah. uh, Elliot Reed, Perry Cox, Bob Kelso and Nurse Carla. I'm gonna say it was uh, Sarah Chalk. I, oh god, it. Uh, I feel like I feel like this is not gonna be like a DC Pictures thing. I know John C. McGinley has a lot of voiceover work, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna say John C. McGinley. I think You're you guys right. both made really good, uh, like. Voiceover, voiceover guest, uh, 
for this. It is John C. McGinley. He was in a oh shit. He was in a Batman versus Superman animated series. Yes, as, he was, uh, and I forgot about it, and I'm very upset right now. <laughs> how it was from like 14 years ago. How do you? Why are you upset about Which not knowing? I have way too much time to know these things. Man, <laughs> there's so are much. You, are you at a Karama level of TV consumption? Uh, we don't want to talk about it. His braid is Shout just out to all Karama. the good Catholic with Daddy Glover and John C. <laughs> um, well, Rich, thank you for that question of the week. Of I course. don't even want to know what this... If someone's keeping score, please don't. I'm really upset. <laughs> like, and I've got a question of the week in Scrubs fandom. Uh, is this infected? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have... Tune into more... YouTube to find out if Max I... is infected. <laughs> we are coming towards a land here. Uh, I have two more questions for each of you. Do you think this show could be made today? And would you continue watching this sh- version of the show? As in, would I continue for a ninth time of watching every single episode of this, except for when the show turns into the Dave Franco and Courtney Cox years? Yes, I would keep watching. Uh, and it, would it be made today? Hell yeah. I want to see I want to see humble and not superhero doctors on this. I want to see goofy comedy. It, I think one of the reasons that the show was not on NBC's Thursday comedy thing is that it is mostly a drama with some light humor sparkled in. And I think this is one of the first shows to actually make me cry with some of the dramatic romance. Also, fuck you for using the fray so well in this show. Uh, The fray is made for people dying in hospitals. I'm sorry. That's... (laughs) That is that's number one rule of the pod. The use the use the fray when someone's dying in a hospital. I, I I don't think I know that band. That went over my head. God damn it! Oh motherfucker! Uh, All right, <laughs> Max. What about? Or wait, Rich. Uh, do you think this show could be remade? Do you think it could be made today? Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't think. I don't think we're missing anything about this. I think obviously the. Um, uh, you know, I don't. I don't think the JD and Turk uh, duo is necessarily as like hip and cool as it might have been in two thousand one, um, or or progressive or anything like that. But uh, I think absolutely, yeah, that could still be made today. Everyone has to be pretty young though. All right, Max. Yeah, a hundred percent. I would keep watching it. I have gone through this entire show before. I would do it again. Uh, rewatching it, it just reminded me how much I love it. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, go and check out Elise's early seasons. Uh, could it be made today? I would agree, absolutely. Uh, I know the knock from a lot of people about Scrubs has to do with some of its humor being dated. This show does get flagged for uh, some misogynistic humor and having a little bit of like a boys' club rep with its jokes. But Bill Lawrence and his team is you know, working straight through to this day and making some of the top stuff on TV, I think that a version of Scrubs with different jokes would be just as effective. It is a 30-minute sitcom that plays with genre and did musical episodes, did multicam episodes, Mm -hmm. did flashback episodes, did dream sequences, uh, flipped its entire first-person VO for entire episodes. It's so creative with how it tells stories and i think that there is absolutely a place for that on tv somewhere today and i will say a hundred percent a version of this show should be made today right Mm -hmm. there's so much garbage that is on tv there's so much garbage that i watch on tv i would love to replace it 
every week with 20 minutes of scrubs. Um, with that being said, as far as rewatching this, 100% easy. It's, it, it's, I couldn't have given an easier yes to this show. This show is so wonderful. Um, and there's a reason why a lot of these actors who star in the show are still finding a lot of great work mm-hmm. these days because they are all so talented. And Bill Lawrence really did it, right? He, he made a fantastic show. Um, with our plane coming to a land, um, and but before our plane comes to a land, <laughs> wanted to give initial everyone... <laughs> we're on our initial descent, but I wanted to give a preview of what we're going to be talking about next week. Yes. Uh, so if you're listening to this, you can give your in-flight question. Next week, we're going to be... Uh, Throwing out the first pitch of the baseball season with East Bound and Down. And you can find it on HBO Max. Um, For now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if you are interested in shooting us a question, um, feel free to on our Instagram, on TikTok, email, leave us a voicemail. We can't wait to hear. Even if you just want to tell us... um, who you who your favorite first pitch throw came from? Cool. I can't wait to hear your answer. It's Fifty Cent. It's always gonna be Fifty Cent. <laughs> no, if it's not Megan the Stallion, I'm gonna be upset because <laughs> if you've seen the video of her doing it, she asked the cameraman, "Who am I supposed to throw it to?" As the catcher is behind her, and oh, I love it, it is the greatest video ever. A plus to her, uh, but. We're really excited uh, to be filming that and look forward to that in wherever you listen or watch us. But as our plane is now at a land after our initial descent, um, where can we find you two gentlemen? Uh, you can find me on season two of Apple TV's hit Shrinking, <laughs> written and produced by Bill Lawrence. You can find me on all things social media at Maxwell Sig. You can find original sketch comedy from myself and Rich Inman over on TikTok at Dadwagon Comedy, along with this podcast now on TikTok at Dadwag uh, at TV Pilots License. Uh, you can find me on IMDb if you search Max Singer. <laughs> Wow. Rich, what about uh, you? You can find me on episode two of Scrubs, uh, just watching it. I'm not going to be on it. <laughs> uh, at uh, Damn That's Rich on Instagram. You can find me being a cheer mom uh, on the set of Shrinking to Max, cheering him on silently. <laughs> Somehow convincing Bill Lawrence to let me walk behind him. Uh, and you can also find me on social media at Run Jeff Run on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the TV Pilots License on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at TV Pilots License. If you have a question about the show or for our next episode, which is Eastbound and Down, uh, remember it, write it down, and watch it on HBO Max. You can email us at TV Pilots license at gmail.com dm us on instagram or call us at 213-290-1713 make sure to watch out for instagram for sneak peeks of our upcoming episodes with the plane landed and the seatbelt sign off we look forward to flying the bright skies of the tv world with you again soon and until then remember we're no superman and put max on shrinking <laughs> put max on shrinking even at the <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha